Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. So the past two weeks we've been going through 2 Samuel, and we've been seeing the life of David progressing. We saw where he became king, and he's just having victory after victory after victory. Things are going really well right now for the king of Israel, King David. Now, in chapter 5, we saw how he had victory uh, over the Philistines and over the Jebusites. We saw where he took the city of Jerusalem for himself, even though they said, hey, the blind and the lame couldn't, uh, could defend the city against you. We could close our eyes and fight you, David, and you still wouldn't beat us. And sure enough, David beat them, of course, as we all know. So David is on this, this victory campaign. Everything's going really well for him. Uh, in chapter 8, which we're, we're going to skip over this week, uh, he beats the Moabites. Uh, and he beats the uh, Arameans in war uh, and totally annihilates them. And, and, and God has been just blessing him from day one. We saw where David was once a little shepherd boy, once in the field with smelly sheep. And now we see David as the king of Israel winning these battles. His name is getting bigger and bigger and more people know who he is. Uh, and we're just seeing things go well for David. Uh, and chapter 8 verse 14 kind of sums up how things are going. It says this. It says, The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. It's like whatever he's doing, he's doing well. He steps in and plays a game of checkers, wins in three moves. I don't even know if that's possible, but he jumps all the pieces. He, he, he goes to the grocery store, and he's the 1,132nd customer and gets a free grocery meal. Everything is going well for David right now. Like everything he's doing, God is blessing. God is coming into his life and saying, I want to make this great. And David is just feeling the blessing of God upon his heart feeling the victories that God's giving him. And he's thanking God every step of the way. But it's interesting, in the midst of all these victories, in the midst of the success, this story of a guy named Mephibosheth comes into play. It's a weird name. Everybody say it with me. Me Me Me-fib-o. You guys got that right. I'm sorry, I pronounced the last bit. I know, it's a weird name. Seth. Sheth, I'm sorry, Sheth. Sheth. Yeah, I got it wrong. Okay, let's try again. Me, Fib, O, Seth. Sheth. I keep saying it wrong. So, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Shh, one more time. Mephibosheth. It's really fun. I like that. Cool. So, we come to the story of Mephibosheth. Got it right that time. I'm so proud of myself. Mephibosheth. We come to the story of Mephibosheth. Uh, and we're, we're going to read it through. And I want us to read verses uh, 1 through 6. And then we're going to pause and talk a little bit. And we'll come back to it. But in enters the story of this guy named Mephibosheth. And, and it's really interesting. And I, I don't think it's a mistake how David has all these victories, all this success. And then the story of Mephibosheth enters. So let's read about it. Verses 1 through 6. David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Zabad. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Zabad, your servant? He replied. The king asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Zabad answered, uh, answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Zabad answered, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amal, 
in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amal. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, he said, your servant, he replied. Let's pause right there and, and kind of analyze the situation before we go any further. Uh, so, so we meet this guy named Mephibosheth. We meet this guy, and, and we learn a few things about him to start off with. First of all, we learn uh, that he is the son of Jonathan. If you guys remember a few weeks back, Jonathan used to be the prince of Israel, and he was really good friends with, jo- with David. Remember, they were, they were BFFs for life. They were Biffles, if you will. Biffles best friends for life. They were really good friends, uh, and, and, and they, they were just, they had a really good relationship with one another. And then Jonathan's father was the king of Israel, Saul. And we remember Saul sinned against God, and God punished him for it, uh, and took him out as king of Israel. Uh, and we know that Saul died because of his sin against God, and so did Jonathan, and so did most of Saul's family. Uh, they, they all died um, in a battle with the Philistines and the, the reoccurrences after that, the civil war that ensued and such. Uh, so, so David comes to this place uh, and he asks, okay, is there anyone left in the household of Jonathan or of Saul? Are there any relatives left who are related to Saul or related to Jonathan? And this guy, Mephibosheth, comes up. Uh, and, and we learn that he was obviously the grandson of, jo- of Jonathan, uh, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. Uh, but we also learned that he was crippled. Both his legs were crippled, and he couldn't use them. If, if you went back a ways in the, in the, the Chronicles, you would see uh, that the reason his feet are crippled is because right after Saul died and right after Jonathan died, all the household of Saul went into hiding. You see, back then it was customary when one kingdom or one king would fall away and wouldn't be king anymore, and a new king would come into power, it was customary, and I know this seems really brutal because it is. What they would do is they would kill, the new king would kill anyone in the family of the old king. He would do this so no one from the old family could say, hey, I have a right to the throne. My father was once king. I want to be king one day. And Mephibosheth could have said that, but we know that God took Saul, took Saul out of the equation uh, and didn't want him to be king, wanted David to be king. Uh, so because they were afraid that this new king David might kill Mephibosheth, when he was a child, they took him away and they put him in hiding. But when they were running, he was unfortunately dropped and both his legs were crippled. So that's how he became crippled. So we know that he, he's crippled. Uh, we also know that he is living in the house of someone else. It's not his own house he's living in. He's living in, in a friend's house, and we learn this, that he's living uh, in the house of Maker. Uh, he's living with someone else because... He's an orphan. His father's dead. His grandfather's dead. Most of his family is dead. And, and, and he's living in this house as a guest. And, and third, we know he's in hiding. He's hiding because, as I explained, he was fearful that someone might try and kill him. This new king, David, might try and kill him because of his relation to Saul and because of his relation to David. So Mephibosheth was pretty low on the social scale. He didn't own a house. He didn't have his own house. He's in hiding because his father and his grandfather were once the kings and now they're dead. And he's fearful for his life. He has no way to take care of himself because he's crippled and he has no family. And, and, and really, he, he's having a struggle in his life. This is where Mephibosheth is at. Uh, 
So one day he, he gets this call. Imagine you're in the shoes of Mephibosheth. Probably getting made fun of at school because you have a weird name. Just going to say, I'd, I probably would make fun of that kid in class. Just going to say, probably that's rude, but I shouldn't. Anywho, so he, he, he's in his home and suddenly a messenger comes and says, the king knows you're here and he wants to see you. You would probably get pretty nervous because you're thinking, oh my goodness, he found me here hiding. He's going to bring me in and he's going to kill me because that's the custom. So they march Mephibosheth in. He meets the king and the king says, ah, Mephibosheth, nice to see you. And he, and he immediately falls on the ground before the king and he says, your servant, I am your servant, whatever you ask. And imagine the fear that is probably in his heart. Here is this warrior, David. This warrior. You've heard tales about this guy. He's killed a giant when he was a kid. Imagine what he could kill now. If he was killing giants when he's a child, a young boy, what is he doing now? I don't know, but he is probably doing P90X and some serious workouts. This guy is probably a warrior. Not probably a warrior. He is a warrior. You keep hearing these stories how he beats the Philistines. He beats the Moabites. He beats the, the, he's totally wrecking shop on all the countries around him. Going to war. And you come before this fierce man, this warrior, and, and, you, and you know in your heart that, man, the custom is to, to kill anyone of the opposing family. He's probably bringing me in here, and he's thinking, how is he going to kill me? How is he going to do it? What is he thinking? He's probably a creatively evil, mean guy. He's probably thinking of ways to kill me. And he falls down before David's face. And when you think of a warrior, when you would think of David... You think of a man, and you don't really think of, of kindness or tenderness that often. You think of a, a, a manly man, if you will. And you don't think of a warrior usually as someone with a tender or a kind heart. So Mephibosheth comes in, he, he lays down, he says, I'm your servant, David, whatever you want. Probably expecting to die, but let, let's see what this warrior David does. Let's see his reaction to Mephibosheth, how he treats him. We're going to start in verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Zabad, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Zabad said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Machai, and all the members of Zimbad's household were servants to Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. So we come to this warrior David. Mephibosheth throws himself at his feet and says, your servants are whatever you want, expecting to die, thinking of himself very lowly, living in someone else's house, unable to provide for himself on the run and hiding, and he throws himself down thinking, I, I'm going to die, and I, I probably deserve it. 
And then this great warrior, David, says, Mephibosheth, dude, good to see you, man. What's going on? I am so glad you're here. Look, I have been looking for you all over. So glad I found you. I want to bless you in a huge way. I want to give you all the land that your dad Saul had. I want it to be yours. And I want you to be in possession of it. Not only that, I'm going to go further. I want you to have all that land back. And I want you to live with me in the palace. I want you to eat at my table. My table. I want you to eat with me. And, and, and I want to give you men, laborers, to, to, to work in your field so you will be provided for and so you will, you will have an estate and a place to be provided for. That's not the reaction you would think from this warrior Saul, right? I mean, I'm sorry, this warrior David, right? You wouldn't expect that reaction. You expect a hard, firm look, but, but David is showing kindness. He's kind of being tender, and he's being forgiving, and he's being loving. Why would a manly man do that, right? Now, I'm going to give a general stereotype, and there's a reason this is a stereotype, because it's true. Ladies, you are better at being kind and tender than guys. Not much of a shock. Let me give you an example here. Let me give you an example. And this, isn't a, this is a good thing, ladies. I'm giving you a compliment here. Let me give you an example. You wake up in the morning and you, and you, have, you have the sniffles and you're a little bit sick and you feel your forehead and you're, you're burning up hot and maybe you got a little sick or something like that earlier in the night and, and you wake up and you're sick. And you can only muster in your, in your strength one name to call, one parent to call. Who are you going to call? Are you going to call Dad? Or are you going to call Mom? Bobby? You're going to call your mom. Because when your mom comes in, she'll be like, Oh, honey, are you sick? I am so sorry. Here, let me get a wet cloth and put it on your head. Hey, do you want some PB&J? I'll put it in the nice little triangles that you like, and I'll cut the crust off for you and make a little smiley face. And you're like, yeah, that'd be good, Mom. Oh, do you want a smoothie? I'll make you a smoothie. What do you want in the smoothie? And she'll, she just takes care of you because she's so tender and she's so loving. And if you've ever seen, like, like, girls are really good with babies. Like, they hold it so softly, and it doesn't cry, and it just wavers. And, like, a guy holds a baby, and he's like, what do I do? What? What? <laughs> What do I do with this thing? Oh, it smells bad. What do I do? They, they, they're not exactly the tender kind, you know what I mean? Not exactly the, the kind type. Or your dad walks in when you're sick and goes, what happened? Oh, dad, I feel really sick. Okay, well, don't throw up on the bed. Cool, see ya. And like leaves the room like, what, dad, what? Come on, help me. Women have this ability, and they're much more tender and kind for guys. And, and guys often think, well, guys aren't supposed to be kind. We're not supposed to be... You know, this, this tender, sensitive type, right? We're men. If you're describing a man, you say, men are courageous, they're bold, they're brave. They eat nails for breakfast. Their cologne is bacon, they rub all over their body. They wrestle bears in the dark, they grow beards by blinking. That's men, right? That's what you think in your mind when you're thinking of men. You don't think of someone who's, who's tender or kind. But here's this warrior David. This guy who literally actually kills bears and lions, we found out. Kills giants, in fact. Leads armies, in fact. Is king of Israel. And this manly man, this warrior, looks on Mephibosheth. And instead of killing him, which would be almost expected, he says, no, I want to show you kindness. And he tenderly comes to Mephibosheth. And he shows kindness in a few ways. He says, look... I know it's customary for us to, to, to kill the other kingdom, but I don't want to kill you. And not only does he not kill him and show him kindness in that way, in my mind, not killing Mephibosheth 
probably would have been just the extent of his kindness. But he goes further. He says, not only am I not going to kill you and not make you hide anymore, I'm going to give you the land of your father. I'm going to give you this property and, 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 and men to work with you on this land so that way you can be provided for and you can have a living and a home to live in. What a blessing that is. And it's not like he deserved it or anything. But he goes, he goes further in his kindness. He goes even deeper in his, his tenderness and his mercy that he extends to Mephibosheth. He says, you know what? Not only am I going to give you uh, a land to have worked on and, and an occupation in that, I want, you to do, I want to do something else for you. I want you to eat at my table. To eat at the king's table. Now, I, I really want you to understand how big a deal this is. Not anyone just walked in and ate with the king at his table. If you wanted to go in and have dinner with the President of the United States, it would probably be difficult to get an invitation. Not just anyone off the street and go, oh, that looks like a pretty house. The white columns, and it's right in D.C. I think I've seen, you know, the White House on TV. I'm just going to walk in there and say hey to the President. You know, sit down, have dinner, talk, have a few laughs. You don't do that because he's the President. Good luck trying to get over that fence, and you will be tackled and tasered by Secret Service pretty darn quickly. Not that I've tried. That would be crazy. So eating with, the, eating with the king was a big deal. It was an honor reserved for just a select few. Usually the king's sons could eat with him. The highest officials in the government could eat with him. Dignitaries from other countries. And then Mephibosheth. God welcomes in this, this man who's crippled who some would look at as his enemy because he was, a king, he was uh, related to the other king. And he welcomes in this guy who was once living in hiding. And he says, I want you to eat at my table with me. That's the best food in Israel that would be on the king's table. Definitely an all-you-can-eat buffet. And you know David, he probably had some manly meat all over the table. Like, imagine, if I get to pick what I want for dinner every night, it's going to be good. Like, it's going to be great. It's going to be just an amazing display of animal meat just mounted high on the mountains. It's going to be like Mount Rushmore, but with meat all in it, like packed on there. Like, there'll be a head of a deer, and like, that's a little graphic. I'm sorry. It would just be an amazing display of food. And Mephibosheth gets to come there and partake in that with him and have the honor to, to converse with the king, to, to talk with him, to eat with him. He welcomes him in and shows this kindness to Mephibosheth. It even goes further in his kindness. And, and it finishes off in verse 11. And it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. It said David treated this, this common guy, Mephibosheth, this lowly man, as one of his sons. Mephibosheth was an orphan. He had no family. He was living with strangers. He, and yet God's, I'm sorry, and yet in comes David and he says, no, I want you to eat with me. I want you to be as one of my sons. Live with me in Jerusalem. Be at my table. Partake of that. What a blessing that David would show this kind of kindness to Mephibosheth. And I'm sure at some point, in between sitting at the king's table or having all this land and property to take care of or maybe being dressed in, in the palace gowns of where he lives, he's probably thinking to himself, why do I deserve this? What have I done to earn this? 
And we see this when he responds after David tells him what he's going to do for him. In verse 8, it says, Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth is saying, Look, I consider myself as lowly as a dead animal just lying on the side of a road. Yet why would you, the king, stop and, and help me? Why would you pause in your life and your victorious campaigns to show kindness to me? What did I do to deserve this? And he's almost baffled by this kindness of David, by this love that David shows him. Why would he do that? I didn't earn this. I don't deserve it. Why is he showing me this? Why is he blessing me? Why is he welcoming me into his very house to be as one of his sons? What have I done to deserve this? And the truth is, Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve it. It wasn't like David owed personally Mephibosheth some big gratitude. It wasn't like he was getting this this huge advantage out of having him in his household. But truthfully, he didn't deserve it. The reason why David did this is, is first of all, He did this out of respect and out of remembrance uh, and out of love for Jonathan, his friend. You guys remember his best friend, Jonathan. He did this because he said, well, Jonathan, uh, I I want to honor any of his descendants. And and Saul, his grandson, uh, grandfather, he respected Saul and he said, I I want to honor Saul's name. And I want to, to bless this Mephibosheth because of his father, because of his grandfather, because of who they were to me, because of my relationship with them, I'm going to bless Mephibosheth. That was one of the reasons why, why David came in and, and blessed him this way. But the second reason was this. David blessed Mephibosheth to show him God's kindness. He, he, he blessed Mephibosheth to put on display for everybody to see what the kindness of God looks like. We see this when we go back in verse 3. The king asks, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? I think it's no coincidence that chapter 9 follows right after chapter, uh, um, chapter, nine follows right after chapter 8. It's no coincidence. You see, David is in the middle of all the success. God is blessing him in so many ways. He's giving him victory after victory. He's the king. He's living in this palace. His name is known throughout the land. Kings are coming to him saying, hey, congratulations on your victory. Please don't fight us. We totally know you are a big bad warrior and we don't want to fight. Here's a bunch of money. Here's tribute. David is, is a huge deal in the land. And somewhere in that process... David stops in all that success, and he says to himself, Who am I that God would show me such kindness? I don't deserve what God's giving me right now. I don't deserve the blessings that God's given to me. Who am I that God gives me this? He thinks back and he says, I was a lowly shepherd boy, the lowest son in my family, the youngest son in my family. And God brought me from that, and he now made me king over Israel. He's now blessing me to where I I am having these victories after victories. Why is God doing that? I am undeserving of it. 
And David has this perspective on God's kindness. And he says, I see God's kindness towards me. I see his blessing on me, even though I don't deserve it. I see that he's welcoming me in. He has this plan for my life. And I want to show other people that kindness that God showed me. And he says, I'm going to take that kindness that God showed to me and show it to someone else. And he shows it to the least likely person, the least deserving person. He shows it to Mephibosheth. And he says, guys, this is the kind of love. This is the kind of kindness and tenderness that our God has. And you see, God in the same sense as David, God is a warrior. God is strong and powerful and mighty. But in the same stroke, the same hand that brings authority and brings wrath and power and wins battles, the same hand that does that is the same one that tenderly cares for us. That tenderly knit David together in his mother's womb. God is not only just powerful and mighty and strong, but he is tender and he is caring and he is loving. And guys, I'm telling you right now, when you define a man of God, you shouldn't just define someone who's bold and courageous and brave and brawny. You should also describe a man who is tender and who is loving and who is kind to others. And who shows mercy to others because that is much, that is just as important in being a man as being bold and brave and a warrior. As being a tender caretaker and one who shows kindness. And that's what God expects of us. And and here is David living this out and showing this to Mephibosheth. And and, and it really really asks this question. It it brings this response to our own hearts. Do we understand the kindness of God? Do we see examples of that? Here is David putting on display his relationship with Mephibosheth, saying, guys, this is what God's kindness looks like. God's kindness is taking in an enemy. God's kindness is helping a crippled. It's taking someone off the streets who is, who is living out and hiding and bringing them forth and saying, I want to give you honor and I want to give you uh, authority in this land and I want you to, to eat at my table. It's welcoming someone else in to your own life, your own family as David did, and saying, be one of my sons. Sit at my table. What kindness is that? And you see, God shows us the same kindness in turn. Do you know what it's like to to, to get something that you really just didn't deserve? Maybe you're taking a math test, and you walk into class, and you sit down, and your teacher goes, all right, well, pull out, you know, piece of paper, pencil, we're about to begin your math test. And you're like, oh my goodness, totally forgot about this one. Did not study, this is miserable. And the teacher writes the problems on the board and you've never seen figures or letters in that kind of shape or whatever. You're like, what? why are there letters in my math? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Why is AX squared times B, what does that even mean? Like, keep the letters in English and keep the numbers in math. That makes sense to me. But the teacher puts it on the board and you're like, there is no way I'm passing this. And you just start writing things on the paper. You don't even know what's, what's ever popping in your mind, too. Seems good. And I like the letter B because that's what my name begins with. I'll put that as my answer. And you put it on the test and you finish the test and you turn it in and you're like, oh my goodness, I do not want to get this back. And of course, this is like the one test your teacher grades in two days. 
So she comes back and she goes, all right, we're going to pass the test. And she, she puts it on your desk and you're like, I don't even want to look at it. I don't deserve a good grade. Like, really, I did horrible on this. And, and you flip it over and, and you got a good grade and you're like, oh, well, yeah, I, I totally deserve that. There were like at least two minutes where I definitely opened my book before the test and studied. Right? I'm a smart, intelligent guy. I totally deserve that. But in reality, you would just, you know, maybe circle the multiple choice answers and got lucky, extremely lucky, and got a good grade. But do you ever have a moment in, in your heart, a moment in your life where you think to yourself, wow, God's blessing me. God's been so nice. He loves me. He cares for me. He shows me this kindness. You know, I kind of deserve it. I kind of earn it, right? I mean, I'm not that bad of a guy. I'm not that bad of a gal. I, I deserve God to show kindness to me. Or do you think in your mind, it makes sense that God would bless me? Do we, do we ever think that in our minds? Do we ever think, yeah, I, I deserve it? Arrogance. It's arrogance to think that in your mind. To think in your mind that God's kindness that he shows to you is earned. When God gives us kindness, we should be as Mephibosheth and say, God, I am as a dead dog. I am as nothing before you. Why would you bless me? You see, when God shows us kindness, we are undeserving of it in the same sense. We cannot in any way earn or or deserve the kindness God shows to us, but that's just the beauty of it, that we can't understand it, but he gives it to us anyway. How incredible is that? That that God himself, when we are unable to help ourselves, like Mephibosheth was, when we are in hiding, when we are broken and crippled by our own sin, unable to help ourselves, God says, no, I don't want it to be this way. And he says, come, I have a plan for you. I have a place for you. Come, I want to provide for you. Come come to me and, and I want to welcome you into my house. I want you to eat at my table. I want you to go from this position of lowliness to to be honored and sit at my table and talk with me, commune with me, have a relationship with me. I want you to be considered as one of my sons or one of my daughters. Did you guys know that? That God wants to adopt you into his family to be known as one of his sons or his daughters? Listen to this verse. Uh, It's John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen to this, Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own child. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I want you to think a second uh, on the beauty of adoption. I have uh, two cousins and they live in Lynchburg. Well, one of them lives in Lynchburg, Virginia. Another one got married recently and lives out west. But um, my aunt and uncle, uh, they're, not, they're not blood relatives. You see, they, they were adopted. Liberty, has, Liberty University has this godparent home uh, where, where girls, if they, if they get pregnant in, in their teenage years, they can go there and they can stay and they can have the baby and they give that baby away 
to a family. And that family takes care of them and loves them and raises them as their own child. And there was a time and a place where my aunt and uncle um, met Ryan. His name's Ryan Dempsey. And they met Andrew Dempsey when they were just little children. And they didn't owe anything to that child. It wasn't that that child necessarily was a blood relative to them or, or deserved to be adopted, but they looked at that child and they said, I want you, Ryan and Andrew Dempsey, I want you to be a part of our family. I want you to bear our last name. I want you to eat at our table with us. I want you to, to dwell in our house and have a relationship with us that lasts. I, we want to love you and, and welcome you into our home. And they picked Ryan and Andrew for that. They chose them for that. What kindness that is beyond even understanding that, that you would go to a, a strange child that you've never seen it and welcome them into your very home. But now God looks at us and he sees us in our lowly condition in sin and making mistakes in this world and having no part with him. And he looks at us and he says, I want you to be with me forever in heaven. I want you to dwell with me at my house, to eat at my table, to be considered one of my sons or one of my daughters, to be adopted into my family. And he says, you will be adopted into my family. I will extend this kindness to you, which you have not deserved or you haven't earned because of where you are. I will extend it to you if you have a relationship with Jesus. If you put Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross for your sins, if you make him Lord of your life and are led by the Holy Spirit and saved and born again, then you will be considered one of my sons. Just as Mephibosheth, because of his relationship with Jonathan and with Saul, just as David looked at him and says, I'm going to bless you because of your relationship with him. Jesus, when we become a Christian, looks at us, I mean, God looks at us when we become a Christian, and he says, because of your relationship with Jesus, I'm going to bless you. Not because you deserved it, but because of your relationship with him. Because of your belief in him. You will now be a son or a daughter of my kingdom. You will eat at my table in heaven. You will dwell with me forever. What a blessing it is. What kindness it is that is extended to us and offered to us even though we don't deserve it. And David, this entire story is saying, I'm going to treat Mephibosheth as God has treated me. I'm going to show this kindness that God has, which doesn't even make sense to this world, doesn't even make sense with who Mephibosheth is. I'm going to show it to him anyway. And we should show the kindness of God and live in a way to where people can look at our lives and we can say, look at the way I'm living. Look at what's happening and see that this kindness is of God. See that he offers kindness that isn't asked ever deserved. We should be kind to others in a way that, that they don't even deserve. Kind to those who are enemies. Kind to those who, who don't make necessarily deserve us for them to be kind to. We should extend God's kindness to all people because God showed this incredible kindness to us and asking us to be his sons and his daughters with him forever in heaven. Amen. Let's pray.
Father God, who are we? God, who are we that you would be so kind to us, that you would extend such tenderness and love to us? For we are sinful, and we are broken, and we are lowly, but you desire to take us and to show us the love of your son Jesus and to offer us the opportunity for salvation. And through our relationship with Jesus Christ, through confessing him as Lord and living a life to where he is Lord over our life, God. In that sense, you offer us an opportunity to be welcomed into your very house, to be welcomed into your family as sons and as daughters of God. We thank you for that kindness you show to us. Might we show that same kindness to other people? And might we live lives recognizing we are sons and daughters of the King, the King Jesus. And might we, we live lives where we demonstrate that kindness to other people. We love you, God. And it's in the name of, of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.